Oh, hey, I'm so glad that you found us. My name is Michael, and I get to be the pastor at Shepherd's Community United Methodist Church in Lakeland, Florida. You're listening to the It's Better When You're Here podcast, where every week we upload the messages that are preached at our church every Sunday. We hope by listening to this, uh, you feel safe, heard, and loved by the God that created you. We hope this message makes an impact in your life. If listening to this makes a difference, reach out to us and connect with us either on social media or on our website, shepherdsumc.com. All right, here's the message. So this morning, we're beginning our series called Minor Leagues. We're talking about the minor prophets that we find in the Bible. There are so many books of the Bible that if you're not looking close enough, you can skip right on over. You'll miss out on seeing them. The minor prophets are these collection of books that speak of prophecy and challenges. There's some condemnations. There's some fiery language in them. But ultimately, they're about justice and growth and change and a relationship of a whole people with God. The minor prophets are overlooked because they're hard to understand sometimes. They're out of context, out of place setting. They're a little bit different. They're a little bit difficult. I believe that the minor prophets have something to teach us this morning. There are uh, 12 minor prophets. It's Hosea, Joel, Amos, Ringo, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. I didn't do it fast enough. I put Ringo in there because I thought it'd be funny. That's the drummer from the Beatles. I should have done Paul. If I had said Paul, you'd have no idea. Anyways, there's 12 of them, and every last one of them are written for a specific time, a specific place. All of the Bible, you have to understand the context that it's written in. You have to be mindful of who it was written to and, and why it matters. Well, why do the minor prophets matter to us here in 2023, here in South Lakeland, here at Shepherd's Community United Methodist Church and around the world? Well, we are connected to this story. The story of the people of Israel, as told in the minor prophets, relates to us. We worship Jesus Christ. Jesus was the Messiah for the people of Israel. We also believe that the gospel then got opened up to the rest of the world. And so all of us got to celebrate in that connection. But we are connected. It reminds us our need to repent. Repentance is something that you don't hear a whole lot about from this pulpit. As I've shared with a lot of you, I grew up in a church where we heard about repentance all of the time, multiple times every Sunday. And so now that I'm here and I get to preach, I might skip a couple Sundays. I don't know about you, but I have something ingrained within me. And some people might call it a conscience. I call it guilt and shame. And that hangs around with me enough that I don't necessarily always need to be reminded of the ways that I need to repent. Am I the only one? Or is, are there others as well, maybe? I don't know, I hope. I'll be vulnerable here, it's fine. When we talk about repentance, we, we realize that all of us, all human beings, we are not where we want to be just yet. We know that we want to change. We know that we want to grow. And growth doesn't happen unless there is repentance. And the minor prophets remind us of that. And ultimately, the minor prophets remind us of our work to bring about justice. Justice is something that is deeply ingrained throughout all of the minor prophets. And we as followers of Jesus, we are called to that work as well. Because all of God's word is important for all of God's people, we read the minor prophets. All of God's word is important to all of God's people, 
we read these little books that are easy to look over. And the message that I think we're going to hear from Zechariah this morning, the message that I hope sticks in your head, there is no place you can go where the love of God will not pursue you. So friends, if you have your Bibles, open up to Zechariah. It's near the end of the Old Testament. Maybe go to the table of contents. You don't need to impress anyone by trying to figure it out. Or if you've got a device, go straight there. But what do we want to hear from it? Well, first of all, Zechariah is a prophet speaking to the people of Israel as they are in exile. They are under oppression of another group of people. They are not free. They have found themselves yet again under the boot of some other tyrant. It is a recurring theme. The Israelites have gotten themselves into trouble, and here they are. Prophets would be these wild creatures that would come up, and God would give messages to them to share with the people of God. They were not people you wanted to see roll into town. They were not happy televangelists that people were excited to watch. They brought words that were challenging and difficult. And what's here for us to hear? Well, we are spiritual descendants of this story. Now, we don't hear the same word. If you go on to read Zechariah, it tells us that the high priest Joshua needs to repent. He's dead, uh, so we don't need to worry about that anymore, I assume. He'd be very old if he was still alive, right? So we don't need to hear that particular word. However, we do get to hear that we are called to repentance. And God's character remains the same. What's interesting about this passage is that we hear about God, we hear from God, we hear about people talking about God, and this character has remained the same. It's not unlike, I don't know if you've seen photos online of old places, old buildings in old settings. It's lovely to see like photographs of the Colosseum and people standing in front of it with top hats and canes and horse-drawn buggies around them, right? Has anyone ever seen these before? That building has stayed the same. Something we don't really understand as Americans is that they, they built buildings before 1775. I don't know if you knew this. And as Floridians, they actually built buildings before 1962. It's pretty incredible. You can, you can touch the concrete from a building from 1918 if you go outside of the state of Florida. And when you see those things, you are connected to something in the past. You're connected to something that is not like your time. And Zechariah shows us a God that has not changed since this was written in 500 BC. And what we see is a character of a God that pursues us. And friends, there is no place you can go where the love of God will not pursue you. I'll sum up Zechariah's message for you. You write this down in your notes. It's this. Number one, what he has to say to the people of Israel is this. Things are bad, which easy to say, right? As a character trait of mine, I'm a positive guy. I try to be at least. But one of the main reasons why is because I think most of the negative things that I see, you see too. I don't think I have some special vision that allows me to see how things are bad. And I'm like, I don't know if everyone knows that there's inflation. Should I tell people that? Uh, I think everyone's noticed that, you know, an egg is, you know, $35 each, right? They, they've experienced that themselves. You don't necessarily need a negative Nancy pointing things out to you. It's a character trait. It's not necessarily a plus, but it's one that I have. So Zechariah says out loud, things are bad. 
Zechariah also says his second point is this, things have been bad. This is a very different message. Things are bad right now. Yeah, we all see that. Things have been bad. Oh, that causes me to question. That causes me to think about the good old days, how things used to be so much better. It is easy, so easy to look into the past and think that it was perfect and lovely. Our past can sometimes have rose tint on them. And we think that things were lovely and wonderful. And friends, the past, in a lot of ways, was just as bad as the present. Same for the people of Israel. And then the third message that Zechariah has is that God will not stop until things are made right. It's this beautiful gift of being able to look back into the past and see how God was at work and see how God is currently working. Zechariah acknowledges, yeah, things aren't good, things haven't been good, but God has been at work from then till now. And then lastly, this is only happening because of God's love. You see, friends, there is no place you can go where the love of God will not pursue you. Everyone say, return to me. You see the God of Israel saying this again and again and again and again. I call it the, the roller coaster of Israel. The people of Israel, they, they have a good relationship with God, and then they squander it and mess it up. And then they have a good relationship with God, and then they squander it and mess it up. And every time they're in the pits, every time they're in a shallow place away from God, God says, return to me. God doesn't say, you know what? I'm tired of you guys. I'm going to see what the Italians have going on, right? I'm getting a new people. They got better food anyways. Anyways, I'm getting a new people. No, what God says again and again and again and again and again is return to me, return to me, and I will return to you. The nature of God is one of renewal and redemption. God is not on the hunt for the next best thing, the next good thing the next thing that's a little bit easier. The people of Israel constantly had a relationship with God, and God, in God's own nature, instead of picking a new people, chooses not to. And even more so doubles down and gets more people, opens the covenant, not just to the people of Israel, but people like me who weren't born into an Israelite family. That covenant is open to me. God has such a bad time with the people of Israel, he thinks, how about I open it up even more? And that's God's nature, a nature of renewal and redemption. You see, we, we don't forgive like that, do we? To be fair, friends, maybe we don't really need to forgive as much as God forgave over millennia. I don't plan to live for millennia. But instead, I look at what God actually calls me to forgive, how to forgive, and it seems to be, in many ways, just as difficult. If you have a Bible, you can go to Matthew chapter 18. We'll start in verse 21. and it says this, Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Should I forgive as many as seven times? Pause. I'm with Peter, man. As many as seven times? Wow, God. That's a lot. Seven times is a lot to forgive. One time 
is a lot to forgive if it's bad enough, right? And God in Christ says this, Jesus said, not just seven times, but rather as many as 77 times. Other translations will say 70 times seven times. If you're anything like me, I'm wondering if I can get one of those clickers from the state fair, right? A punch card like I get from Dairy Queen, right? You're out of blizzards. Sorry, I don't know you anymore, right? But instead, this is an image that Christ is using to show completion. Forgive people completely. We're not looking for the ways that we can rationalize how we can write people off, but we're instead realizing the ways that we can work forgiveness into our lives. Obviously, the easy way, the way that Peter is asking about is others. Forgiving other people is hard to do. Now, if you've ever had something horrible done to you, I hope you're already thinking, Pastor, I don't know if you know what I've been through, and I don't. Forgiveness might feel like you're letting someone off the hook. I want you to hear something and be encouraged. Forgiveness is not saying, oh, it's all right. How many of you have ever been in a long-term relationship have ever said, oh, it's all right, meaning full well that it is not all right? Any husbands in the room that have ever heard, it's fine? Danger. Amen. Yeah, I see that hand. The one thing that it isn't is fine, right? And so forgiveness is not that. That's a shallow, that's an empty, that's a hollow forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that happens within us. Forgiveness is not saying what you did to me, how you hurt me is no big deal. It's fine. I'll get over it. Instead, it's saying what you did to me no longer has power over me. When Christ tells us to forgive 77 times or seven times seven, he's not saying you should stop taking things so personally, but instead says you need to realize that what others have done to you no longer has to have power over you. Amen? And then let me bother you even more, okay? Because I hope that bothered you a little bit or you weren't paying attention. I hope this bothers you a little bit too. We need to offer that same forgiveness to ourselves. I don't know about you, but I get tired being around this guy. He's a lot. I've known him for 34 years. He gets on my nerves all the time. He is a pain. He talks too much. He listens very little. He's got a lot of things he needs to work on, right? He's a literal pain in my back. And yet, I need to forgive myself. I don't know about you, but I wonder if you came in here with a burden that you're not holding against someone else, but you're holding against the person that you see in the mirror. Maybe you hate what you see in the mirror so much, you can't even address yourself. Friends, I I want you to know that the God of Zechariah, the God of the Gospel of Matthew, the God who came and lived and died and rose again for all of us, has forgiven you. Can't you do the same 77 times, seven times seven, you need to find forgiveness for yourself. And then ultimately towards the world, we need to offer this forgiveness towards the world. The world around us is a harsh place, a dark place, a place where there is suffering. And if we can offer that same forgiveness to the world around us, we will be freed. Friends, there is no place you can go where the love of God will not pursue you. God says, return to me in the realm of our own self-evaluation. You can go to the beginning of the book of the Bible, go to Genesis chapter one. We got verses 26 through 27, and then we'll skip to verse 31. And it says this, then God said, let us make humanity in our image 
to resemble us, so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things on earth. Pass. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. Male and female were created in God's image. God saw everything God made, or that he had made. It was supremely good. Everyone say supremely good. There was evening, there was morning on the sixth day. It was supremely good. I, as students of the Bible, I'm sure you already know, you read the Genesis account of creation, you see that God calls everything good. He sees the birds are good, the, the fish are good, the livestock are good, everything's good. But then he gets down to the sixth day, God doesn't say that it's good. God says that it is supremely good. And friends, you know, we sin, we mess up, we're not perfect. But I want you to remember what your creator called you at the beginning. You weren't a rough draft. You weren't all right. You were supremely good. And friends, we forget that too much. We forget that at our base level, our bones, our souls are supremely good. You were made in the image of God and you are supremely good. I think sometimes that God needs to convince us of our worthiness over our sinfulness. I hope that you have conviction in your heart for the ways that you sin, the ways that you mess up. But God, I pray that you would find yourself worthy of God's love. I pray that you know that you were worth Jesus's life. I pray that you know, you know that the God of the universe says that you are, in your essence, supremely good. And that the work of forgiveness is not a burden for Christ to offer, but is really why he existed throughout all time. There is no place you can go where the love of God will not pursue you. And so, friends, I say, repent. No one's ever said that with a smile. Usually it's into a bullhorn and it's outside of a club in Ebor, right? Ebor is a pl- Never mind. Google. Don't Google it. Uh, it's usually said into a bullhorn. It's usually said by someone really angry. But friends, instead I say, repent. Yes, we have a need to repent, just like the people of Israel did in Zechariah. And we also need to move on. We need to move past the sin that has been forgiven. Have you ever been told I'm sorry from someone like more than eight times? It's that ninth time where you're like, you have something new to apologize for. Because at some point, it feels like a hostage negotiation. When you offer forgiveness, when you truly are forgiven, when you've truly experienced forgiveness, you are a new creation. The Bible that we read doesn't say that when you uh, come alive in Christ, you still have your rap sheet. You still have a scarlet letter on your shirt. You still carry the burdens of who you were years ago, not less moments ago, Instead, we say that you are a new creation. Everyone say new creation. Imagine, imagine if you could really believe that you are not just your worst mistakes, but instead you are a new creation. Imagine if you could really believe that the forgiveness you received from God 
is not something that you need to continue to beat yourself with, but instead gives you a chance to move on. We can identify and end the sin that holds us back and get to work growing our new relationship. See, when you receive forgiveness, when you repent and are forgiven by God, it's a chance to begin again. It's a brand new day. It's a brand new life. You talk to people that have struggled with addiction. They tell you that when they stopped drinking or stopped using drugs or any other form of addiction, it wasn't just that they found some extra free time on Friday nights and that waking up was a bit easier. It's that they are a new creation. They are a new being. They treat people differently. They treat themselves differently. They love more freely. They are born anew. What if all of us, in our forgiveness of our sins, we could understand that we are made new? And what if we could believe that there is no place we can go where the love of God will not pursue you? Because friends, not only does Christ offer us forgiveness, not only does God offer us forgiveness, but God says to us, return to me. Didn't the laws, the words, pursue your ancestors? Not only do we serve a God that offers forgiveness, but goes after us to give it to us, chases us down on the road, meets us while we are a long way off and gives us the forgiveness that frees us for something new. And so your action this week is simple. Find what is holding you back and surrender it to God. You will not find a begrudging hand reaching out with tight fingers around a fist. Instead, you will be surprised at how quickly the presence of God reaches and meets you where you are. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, friends, I hope you heard something in today's message that made an impact in your life, helped you know that you're loved by God, and inspired you to do something about the gospel that is offered to you. Now receive this blessing as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.